Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends in Christ, trials, troubles, and tribulations. This side of Eden, we all experience them. We think of sickness and disease, those on our prayer list, particularly Karen Gierke and Mo Jeffries. We think of those in need, those making application to the Elders Fund. We think of changing jobs, changing circumstances, Changes in family life as children grow and elders, well, change. We think of the trade war with China, a verbal warfare within the branches of our government. Jesus warned the eleven and he warns us that in the world you will have tribulation. But the most important are the crosses occasioned by the cross. Trials, troubles, and tribulations brought on by our confession. Jesus is Lord. James and Marty Hefley recount the story of Arminian Christians in the 19th century. Protestant evangelical missionaries had brought the gospel with a fresh and stirring breeze. It precipitated a renewal of that staid old Arminian church. At the time, Armenia was under Turkish rule, Turkish Muslim rule. Conversion to Christianity was published and punishable by death. This law was suddenly lifted in 1856, and complete religious liberty was declared. Scores of Muslims converted to Christianity. But the opportunity proved to be short-lived. In 1864, the Turkish government began, began rounding up and sentencing to prison Muslims who had converted to Christianity. From 1865 to 1866, government soldiers killed upwards of 100,000 Christians. And in the spring of that year, there was an attempt to kill every Armenian Christian within Turkish borders. Lawyers, doctors, clergymen, and other intellectuals were rounded up and charged with subversion and then tortured. April 24th was the day set to kill the rest of the Armenians. As many as 600,000 may have died that fatal day. One of those who escaped, though, was a young girl of 18. She stumbled into an American camp. Are you in pain? A nurse asked when she arrived. No, she replied, but I have learned the meaning of the cross. The nurse thought she was mentally disoriented, so she questioned her further. Pulling down the only garment that she wore, the girl exposed a bare shoulder, and there, burned deeply into her shoulder, was a cross. I was caught with the others in our village. The Turks stood me up and said, Muhammad or Christ? I said, Christ, always Christ. For seven days, they asked the same question. And when I said Christ, a part of this cross was burned into my shoulder. On the seventh day, they said, tomorrow, if you say Muhammad, you live. If not, you die. Then we heard that the Americans were nearby, and some of us escaped. That is how I learned the meaning of the cross. Trials, troubles, tribulations, even torture. In any and in all of these, we learn to pray. Francis Pieper writes, prayer has been fittingly compared to the heartbeat of physical life. It never ceases. Our text this morning from John 16 comes from late in the upper room discourse. And Jesus invites the 11, he invites us, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my, of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. In this, we are only following the pattern that he set. Luke records that 
Now even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him, to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Just before he called the twelve, we read, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. But there is something new, there is something different here. We read on, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. What was about to change, what has changed for us is the resurrection. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Within a day, the temple curtain would be torn in two from top to bottom. And in Jesus' name, in Jesus, we have access to the Father, into the inner sanctuary. Luther highlights the change when he writes, To be sure, before this day, the dear patriarchs and prophets also prayed in the right spirit and faith. But they did so only in the reliance on the Christ who was yet to come. Now, however, it is no longer to be called praying in the reliance of the one who is yet to come, but praying in the name of him who has already come and has fulfilled scripture and is now reigning with power. We pray in the name of the triumphant king whose ascension to the right hand of majesty we will celebrate this Thursday. Our relationship to the Father has changed post-resurrection. Jesus talks about this in verse 27. We read, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Well, it's time to enlighten, not to quibble with words here. The Father does indeed love us. He agapaos us. But that's not the word here. Instead, we read phileo. Lenski translates it this way. For the Father himself has affection for you, because you on your part have had affection for me. There is a familial comfort in this other love. Our affection towards Jesus calls forth the Father's affection towards us. Love is rewarded with love. Agape brings us into the kingdom. Thalia describes our life within the kingdom, within the family. It describes the contours, the tenors of our prayer to the Father. Zig Ziglar writes, the longest 24 hours of my life were those after my daughter's death. Making funeral arrangements with her husband and his parents, I had to listen to the salesman. He was an incessant talker. He told us 30 times that he was not a salesman. Twice, while making decisions about her casket and the burial, I had to leave the room. I couldn't handle the guy. The night before, I had hallucinated, half asleep, half awake. I kept thinking, my daughter was wondering, when daddy's going to come and get her. Next morning, I took a walk, a long walk. I was praying and crying the whole way. When I returned, the Lord spoke to me distinctly. She's fine. She's with me. And you're going to be fine, too. I'm all you need. You just keep walking. Keep talking. Keep praying. Keep crying. We pray to the Father through the Son. Ask of the Father in my name, verse 23. In that day you will ask in my name, verse 26. That name is not an incantation formula we attach to a long string of self-generated desires and aims. It's not an attempt to soften up a reluctant God. 
It's not a manipulation. Rather, it is a participation. It is to be led into his death and into his resurrection. His death, as we confess the daily sins that inflict our lives at work, in our families, among the congregation, and into his resurrection as we receive the forgiveness won for us. Kenneth Corby writes, Hence the whole of life, with its inexorable and myriad relationships, and with the specifics of our life in their grubby as well as their exalted details, is the continuing exercise of asking God to possess us as we participate in Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, we pray in the crosses of life, and there we find the cross where our Savior died. In that broken figure, we have confidence that God is merciful, that he is gracious, and that he will never leave us. We find the power of the absolution. You are forgiven. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the Spirit. Romans 8.26 is not the exception, it's the foundation. Recall Paul's words there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We have formulas and templates for prayer. We have sample prayers and suggested outlines. But in the end, what powers all prayer is the Spirit. It doesn't depend on our fitness to pray, on our worthiness or our unworthiness. It depends on the immovable truth of the divine promise to hear and our confidence in that promise. It depends on the Spirit who convicts and creates faith. The Spirit that is ours in baptism, the Spirit that comes again today as we hear the word preached, the Spirit that goes out from us as we leave this place, the Spirit that sustains us in trials, the Spirit that comforts us in troubles, the Spirit that grants courage in tribulation, the Spirit that teaches us to pray to pray in every corner, every circumstance of life. In his book, Hidden in Plain Sight, author and pastor Mark Buchanan illustrates God's love through the story of Tracy. Tracy was one of the worship leaders at our church, he writes. One Sunday as she sat at the piano, she talked about the difficult week she just experienced. It was chaotic, to say the least a mess of petty crises on top of a rash of minor accidents, all mixed up in a soup can of crazy busyness. It left her weary and cranky. She got up on Sunday morning to go to church and felt spent, as if she had nothing at all to give. However, Tracy's eight-year-old daughter, Brenna, helped her gain a new perspective earlier that morning. When Tracy walked into the living room, the window was covered with scrawls. Using a crayon, Brenna had scrabbled something across the picture window. Top to bottom, side to side, it was covered. At first, it seemed as just one more mess that Tracy was going to have to clean up. And then she saw what Brenna had written. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind niece, good niece, faithful niece, gentle niece, and self-control in Brenna's delightful spelling. Tracy stopped, drank it in. Her heart was flooded with light. It's exactly what she needed, to be reminded of the gifts of the Spirit. And then Tracy noticed one more thing that Brent had written. It was down in the corner. It read, 
love one another. Only Brenna, in her creative spelling, had written love one, W-O-N, another. It was, even without her knowing it, a prayer that contained its own answer. She won her mother. Jesus invites us to pray to the Father in his name by the Spirit. In the face of trials and troubles and tribulations in this world, but take art, he says. I have overcome the world. The cross truly is empty, and the grave has been abandoned. Origen writes, we are persecuted when God allows the tempter the power to persecute us. But when God does not want us to suffer this, even in the world that hates us, we wondrously have peace and good cheer because of him who said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And truly he has overcome the world because the world is strong only insofar as the victor wants it to be. He has received from the Father the victory over the world and because of his victory, we can indeed be of good cheer. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.